It's good to see everybody here. We're going to just have the one song tonight, and then we'll jump into our lesson. We're going to try to abbreviate the service a little bit, because I know the ice is coming. So we'll try to get you out early here a little bit, and yet do justice to the uh, the teaching time. I was talking to a, an evangelist friend of mine one time, and uh, he said, as a pastor, uh, you should never have to rush through the material because you can always stop and pick up there the next week. And so we want to do it justice. He said he didn't have that luxury because he was only at a church for a week and he had to get it all in. Um, so we certainly will do justice to it, but we are going to move rather quickly tonight. And if we uh, can, we'll get all the material in from lesson two that we need to. But uh, good to have everybody here. We want to take just a few moments to take prayer requests tonight. Uh, we haven't done it the last couple weeks because we've had such a full schedule for the service. But uh, let's take a few moments real quick and just take a handful of prayer requests. Not too many of us here tonight. Anybody? And Miss Kim, do you want me to mention that one or do you want to mention it? Okay. Yeah, you're welcome to if you're here because you might know better what you want to say about it, but I can do it. Okay. Pray for Miss Kim and Brother Pat. Uh, they are considering a life decision that they need some wisdom on and uh, having to involve in some things that they've never gone through before and they need some uh, some wisdom in that aspect and some knowledge uh, and God can do that and God can bless the endeavor. Uh, I'm excited for them. Uh, I know a little bit about what it's about and I'm praying that it works out really well for them and as it goes and gets to be a little bit better I think you'll be willing to share that with the church but we want to make sure it works well first but they need some prayer for some wisdom and some direction in that if you could uh, and just Keeping that, that, that's the best we can say right now about it. But, all right, yes, ma'am. Okay. Amen. Okay. Okay. I think so. Okay. I've met him, met him a time or two. I think. Yes. Okay. All right. Miss Kim's dad. Somebody else? Anybody else? Plus, on the other hand, yes. Okay. Miss Kim's grandchildren. All right. Brother Larry. for the family there as well and uh, all right okay anybody else all right who would like to lead us in prayer for these anyone if not I'll lead us in prayer all right let's pray father we're so grateful and thankful for the privilege you give us to come to you in prayer Lord as we already studied uh, last week Lord what a joy it is to know that you want to have a relationship with us, that you're not just a God who created us and put us on this earth and then just leave us to our own devices. But, Father, you are intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And if there's a burden that's on our hearts, you are well aware of it before we ever come to you in prayer, and yet you want us to come to you in prayer. And, Father, we come tonight in obedience, but also to express our need for you because we know and understand that we cannot resolve these issues of our own uh, power or resources or merit. And so, Father, we come to you tonight knowing our need, our, our lack of ability to supply for these burdens, and I pray that you would give wisdom where it's needed, that you would give healing where it's needed. And, Father, that you would give resources where they're needed. And Lord, there's so many burdens that we many times have in a day's time. And then, Father, we rest in the knowledge that you all have promised to supply all of our needs. And so, Father, I pray that whatever it is that you do choose to supply to us, that we will be well content in it and satisfied, resting in the great joy of knowing that it is exactly what was needed. And I pray that you'll bless the lesson tonight. Lord, speak to our hearts through it and encourage us. And, Father, as we grow to know you more, I pray that you would help our love to just be shed abroad in our hearts towards you that it would draw us closer to you and that we would love you more each and every day. 
We pray that you'll bless the time that was spent here together. May it bring honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we uh, began uh, lesson number two in our discipleship program. And I hope and pray that these have been an encouragement to you already uh, and that you'll continue to stay faithful in doing the assignments each week. Um, And uh, we got about halfway through uh, page number 30, I believe, is where we left off last week. And uh, we dealt with uh, the fact that God wants to have a relationship with us. And boy, I'll tell you what, I, that is, that's one of those thoughts that's just amazing to me. And uh, then we spend a little bit of time dealing with the issue of uh, how we are losing the war. We're losing the battle, if you will. And how we need to be involved. And as our relationship and our walk with God goes, so goes the power that He uh, bestows on us and uses us. And uh, we are more readily available to Him and to be used by Him. And our our hearts uh, begin to have the right motive for working for Him. Uh, We know that the ultimate, absolute motive for serving God is our love for Him. We need to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Obedience is another reason and the fact that He's commanded us to. But that ought not to be the, the main foundation of why we do what we do. We ought to do it because we love them. Uh, I'll be honest with you. When I ask my kids to do something, I expect them to obey. But I want them to do it because they love me. And uh, I hope we understand the difference there. We are, as Christians, expected to obey God. But I hope and pray that our motivation is because we love Him and not because we feel like we are obligated or we begrudgingly do it um, I think the Bible is very clear about that in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 when it shows the picture of the relationship of the child to the parent and the idea that we are to have our children obey in the Lord for this is right. There's no reward given. There's no incentive given for obedience. We simply do right because it's right. But then he goes on to say, honor thy father and mother, and that's different than obedience. And that's uh, obeying with with a joyful spirit, with a right heart, and uh, the idea of uh, that having a reward or an incentive to it. And so we, we certainly want to be motivated by our love for Him. And uh, then we found uh, in, on page 30, where, right where we left off as we got to Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And then we made the two statements, and then that was where we ended, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, he has revealed himself through scriptures. And so one of the best ways we can find... Uh, who God is and have Him reveal Himself to us is through His Word. Uh, he has chosen to reveal Himself through His Word. Now, not all of Him, obviously. In fact, we know that whatever we know about God in the human mind barely can even scratch the surface uh, to who He really is. And we've spoken before about uh, the statement that A.W. Tozer made that whatever we think God to be, He is not. And uh, because He's so far above our way of thinking. And so we know that He is revealed through Scripture, and then He has revealed Himself, secondly, through His Son. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Does somebody have that handy? We'll read that real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Everybody's scrambling to look it up quickly or write in their books. (laughs) 1 Timothy, let's find out. First Timothy three sixteen. Go ahead, Miss Joanne. All right, so we know that he has revealed himself through his son because it makes mention of the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. How was He manifest in the flesh? Through who? Who was He manifest through? Jesus Christ, who is known as the Son of God, correct? All right, we're going to look at that now as we get into the Trinity. God exists as a Trinity. So as we get to know God, we need to learn these things because these are vital. Now, I'm going to tell you at the onset, we can never fully understand the Trinity. If any man says he can definitively define and explain the Trinity, he's lying to you. Uh, is something beyond what our minds can grasp. But we've got to understand this 
we accept it by faith because we understand that God Himself is beyond what we can grasp. And so we certainly cannot fully understand this and won't understand it fully until we get to heaven. But the Bible clearly teaches us that there is one God, and yet He exists in three persons. Now let's look at Mark chapter number 12, verse number 29. It's written here. Or I'm sorry, not that one. Look up, uh, let's look up Mark 12, 29. Excuse me. Mark 12, 29. Mark 12, 29. Okay, Miss Kim? Okay, our, the Lord our God is one Lord. So there's one God. And the Bible speaks of that. Uh, but um, in Isaiah chapter number 45, verse number 5, it says this, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. What's the very first commandment that God gave to the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments? I shall have no other gods before me. Okay? Uh, one God, one Father of all, Ephesians chapter number 4, who is above all and through all and in you all. James chapter 2, verse number 19, Thou believest there is one God, and thou doest well. But the Bible also teaches us that God exists as a trinity. That's the blank there, the word trinity. And literally a triunity, if you will, or if you want to break the word apart there, or three in one. The Scripture refers to this as the Godhead. Let's look at Acts chapter 17 and verse number 19. Acts chapter 17. You're going to have to use your Bibles a lot tonight, so keep them handy. All right. Who's got that one for us? Acts chapter 17, somebody can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 and be ready with that one. All right, who wants to read Acts chapter 17 and verse number 29? All right, Miss Kim, you got it? 1729. Okay, so we find the word Godhead here used in Scripture, and every time we find that word, it's referring to the three-in-one Trinity or the three-in-one God and uh, all three persons of the Godhead. Romans chapter 1, verse number 20. Brother Larry? Okay. And uh, I love this verse. Uh, well, it's a very convicting verse, I'll tell you that, because those that do not get the chance to hear the gospel, many of us think, well, God's not going to judge them the way that he judges everyone else because they've not heard. And yet he teaches that even nature itself and the fact that God is put inside of every human an innate desire to seek out God, that they are without excuse. And uh, But he, again, uses the word Godhead here in the sense of the three persons. So we see throughout uh, Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, although there is but one God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was our memory verse for this week. Is that correct? All right. How many of you were able to memorize that one? All right. Very good. How many of you are still working on it, but you're going to have it done this week? 1 John 5, 7. All right. Okay. Very good. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and I want you to notice on the Word, it's a capital W, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And we know that the way John was writing there, he was referring of the Word to mean who? God, but who in particular? Which one of the Godhead? God the Son or Jesus Christ, Okay. So we have the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 7 that these three are one. So people that deny the Trinity, memorize this verse. It's a great verse. you find all three of them right here existing in one person. Note that the Word in this verse refers to Jesus Christ compared to John 1, 1 and 14. Uh, we'll study this further in the next lesson. There is one person, uh, one God who exists simultaneously in three persons. And this is the thing that I think we must absolutely have nailed down right here. They are co-equal, co-powerful, and co-eternal. Not one of them is any more powerful or higher up in esteem than any of the other three. 
They all coexist equally in the Godhead. So we find in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 7 that the Father is God. Let somebody read that one for us. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Who's got that one? Miss Sandy? Okay. O God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 8, uh, teaches us that the Son is God also. Who's, that, who's got that one? Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. I'm sorry? Or did I say, I'm sorry, what did I say, Acts? Hebrews, I was looking at the next verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 8, excuse me. Go ahead, Miss Joanne. So they're saying to the Son, Thy throne, O God. So the Son is also God. And then uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Who's got that one? Who's got it? Brother David? Okay, so it deals with lying to the Holy Spirit in, chapter, in verse number 4, in verse number 5, and he says, you've lied unto God. And so the idea here, again, the Holy Spirit is considered God, just as much as Jesus Christ is considered God, and just as much as the Father is considered God. And by the way, this will help you if some, certain people come knocking on your door and try to explain to you that Jesus Christ is not God. Okay, there are some that will do that. Amen? And we need to know that we know that we know that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible speaks of that very clearly. All right? And whether we understand the Trinity fully is beside the point. They exist because the Bible says they exist. And so we take it by faith. All right, Miss Sandy? That He is a God. And by the way, you have to be careful because in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible... Uh, especially when you get to the book of Daniel, and I think it's the part where it's talking, it is the part that's dealing with the three Hebrew boys. In our Bible, it says that when they looked into the fire and saw the fourth man, the phrase that's used in our Bible is, and the fourth was like unto the son of capital G-O-D. In the Revised Standard Version, it says that. The fourth is like unto a son of the little G-O-D-S plural. And so you got to be careful of those things. We need to know our Scripture, all right? We need to know our Scripture. Um, learn, uh, page 32. We'll learn more about the Holy Spirit and how He works in lesson number 7. The Trinity is impossible to explain, but it's vital to believe. Amen? It is vital that we believe this. We see it all throughout the Bible. Notice the verses that refer to all three parts of the Trinity at the same time. We've got numerous ones that we've already read about. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so we have Jesus being saved. We have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and a voice from heaven, which would be the Heavenly Father, saying, This is my beloved Son. So we have all three of them interacting in the exact same verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. We're made in the image of God. Uh, I didn't do Matthew 28, 19, 20, or 19, excuse me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And when we baptize, that's what we do. Uh, we baptize in the name of each of those. All right, we are made in the image of God. One of the earliest revelations of the Trinity was given in the very first chapter of the Bible. Notice the use of God speaking in the plural form using us in this verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. Who's got that one? Miss Linda, you want to do that one? 
Okay? So let us make man in our image, after our likeness. All right? So, um, and there, uh, even as God began to reveal his trinity, he also revealed that he made us in his image. And boy, isn't that an amazing thing? That uh, he made us to resemble himself, not so much from a physical standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint and aspect. We don't resemble God necessarily in physical characteristics because God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him, the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. Rather, we resemble Him in the sense that we have a body and a soul and a spirit. I was actually talking to Brother Jim uh, Sunday morning, I think it was Sunday morning, about the idea of a a trichotomy of man, uh, how that we believe that in the Garden of Eden when... Uh, Adam sinned that the, that God did not lie. The day that he ate thereof, uh, one of those actually died. And we believe that to be the spirit of a man. The soul is eternal. The soul will live somewhere for eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Um, we know that that soul will never die regardless. And then uh, we find um, that when we get saved, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, me made alive. And so the spirit of God quickens inside of us, and we now are a trichotomy being again when we get saved. Uh, so we find this thing uh, that we have been pictured now as being in His likeness from that standpoint. We've been in His likeness uh, in mentally. We were created in the intelligent, with intelligence and rationale, uh, an ability to reason and to choose. We've been in His likeness socially. We were created with a need for interaction and fellowship. Um, again, in the Garden of Eden, God saw man that he was by himself and said it was not good that man should be alone. Uh, We were created in God's image morally. We were created with the responsibility to live right uh, and to know the difference. And we spoke a little bit about that last week from Hebrews chapter number 5 that spoke of the, uh, I think it was Sunday, that spoke of the issue um, on Sunday night of, uh, by use of uh, exercise, having our senses exercised to discern both good and evil and being able to have a uh, discernment between good and evil. We live in a day and age that that's getting blurred quickly. And so we need to know this. All right, spiritually, uh, we were created with a spirit that will live forever, uh, even after our bodies die, and with the capacity to have a relationship with God. All of these areas of our likeness to God's image are seen in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. We see Adam's uh, mental intelligence and that he named all the animals. We see Adam and Eve's social need and their relationship with each other. We see the moral responsibility that God gives them. Uh, with a specific command that the fr- and a free will to choose to obey or disobey, uh, and they did have to make that choice. Um, we see their spiritual capacity and their uh, personal relationship with God, which was later severed through sin. And so God is uh, so much greater than our minds can comprehend, and yet He made us in His image and for a relationship with Him. So it's important that we understand the Trinity. The Trinity is pictured throughout Scripture. It's pictured in the way that God created us. And uh, there certainly is a lot there to support the idea of the Trinity. So as we get to know God, we're learning a little bit more about Him now. And I know we've all heard about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, But again, it's good to know from the Bible where that says that. Amen? And uh, have this nailed down. All right, the Bible tells us about God's characteristics. In addition to the truth that God is a Trinity, three in one, the Bible tells us much more that our God, about our God and His characteristics. We refer to these as God's attributes. I did find the book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, by A.W. Tozer here uh, last week, and I was going to order them today, and I forgot to get them ordered. Uh, so I'm going to try to remember to order those. Reagan, help me remember that tomorrow. Uh, I think I've got them for a price that I'm going to order maybe 10 or so of those books in. They're, they're not real thick. They're probably 70 or 80 pages, um, and I'll have extra copies. Because I'd, I'd love for some of you all to read uh, that, if it would be something that would be of help to you. Uh, it goes into a lot further detail than we'll go into here about the attributes of God and uh, certainly something that might be a help and encouragement to you. But some of these attributes are unique to God alone. Uh, these are the ones that we call non-communicable. In other words, we don't necessarily expect that man will have these attributes. They are exclusive to God. Um, and uh, so notice a few of these. First of all, He is holy. He is holy. Now, the Bible commands us to be holy, and that ought to be the desire of our hearts. We ought to be striving for holiness. But the Bible says that the righteous, our righteousnesses are as filthy what? Rags. So will we ever be holy in this life? No. Are we to strive to be holy in this life, though? Yes, because He's our example. That's what we want. 
and our heart ought to be that way. But this would be a non-communicable uh, attribute of God. He is holy. He is absolute holy. There is no darkness in Him at all, the Bible says. Uh, so there is certainly a holiness about Him. Isaiah chapter three, uh, 6 and verse number 3, uh, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. All right, another attribute that is... Um, I, I, sometimes as a parent, I wish I had this one, uh, but it is non-communicable, and that is omnipresent. All right, he is omnipresent. How many of you parents would love to have that attribute? I would too sometimes. Sometimes I'm glad I don't have it, I guess. But um, all right, he is all present, present everywhere at all times. By the way, let me just say this, because I think a lot of times Christians get this mixed up. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is no, nothing more than a created being, a fallen angel. And Satan is not omnipresent, regardless of what you may think. Uh, he does have a lot of uh, minions that uh, do his bidding and certainly affect mankind. Uh, but Satan is not omnipresent. And uh, so, lest we think that he is more than he is, I think sometimes we think too little of God and way too much of the devil. And uh, the devil certainly is not omnipresent. Proverbs chapter number 15 and verse number 3. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding good and evil. Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do, I, do not I fill the heaven and the earth? Saith the Lord. No matter where you go. The psalmist said, If I make my bed in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I go to the ends of the earth, behold, thou art there. There is no escaping God. You can get on the fastest rocket ship from SpaceX and go into orbit in a tell Sakar if you want to and be Rocket Man. And guess what? God is still there. Amen? Uh, he's still there. All right. He's omnipotent. Omnipotent. Page 35. It's a big word. It just simply means he's all-powerful. Omni meaning all and potent meaning powerful. All-powerful. Uh, how many of you believe that tonight? There's nothing too big for God. When I was in college, one of the uh, things that was getting to be a joke uh, with some of the young people there is they would say, uh, if God is all-powerful, can He make a rock that is too big for Himself to lift up? And uh, some other people have brought that to mind and said, well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, the truth of the matter is, yes, God could do that. But if He's able to do that, He's also able to make Himself strong enough to pick the rock up again after He's made it. Uh, but uh, God is all-powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do. He spoke the worlds into existence. I'm talking about everything that we see and everything that we don't see. I mean, I'll tell you, the vastness of space is amazing, but even when you get into this microscopic realm, that's amazing too, isn't it? He made it all by speaking it. He didn't have to sit there and like a sculptor try to sculpt he didn't have to sit there and try to, uh, as a scientist, put chemicals together and try to formulate things. He spoke it into existence. All-powerful. And then we wonder why He can't supply our needs and we worry about it. Why do we ever worry? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what. Do we truly believe that God can meet every need that we have? Or do we, in our human minds, forget that quite often that He is all-powerful? And we begin to worry, don't we? We bite our nails. We... Go to prayer and we agonize in prayer. Oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Instead of saying, God, I'm going to lay this at your throne. It's, it's a need that I have. You know my need and you're able to meet it. It's yours. And the Bible says we ought to do that. Amen. It says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Take it and cast it on him. He's all powerful. Psalm 33, 9 says, for he spake. And it was done. He commanded and stood fast. Jeremiah chapter 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. So He is all omnipotent. All right, the next one, He is omniscient. Omniscient. Again, omni and then S-C-I-E-N-T. Omniscient. All-knowing. There's not one thing God doesn't know. He's better than the Webster's Dictionary or the Encyclopedia Britannica. He's better than Google. Amen. He's way better than Google. He knows it all. He's better than artificial intelligence. He is the intelligence. Amen. He knows it all. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 13. 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him uh, whom we have to do. So He knows everything. You cannot get away from it. Unless we think that we can hide uh, certain things that we do or participate in from anybody, from nobody, from anybody seeing it, we've got to always have this in the back of our minds. And I wish we would always have it in the front of our minds. That God sees everything. He knows it all. I used to think mom and dad knew it all. And boy, I'll tell you what, God does, doesn't He? He does. All right, He is next immutable. Immutable. I M M U T A B L E. Immutable. And that just simply means He cannot change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And this uh, philosophy that goes around in our churches today, well, the times are changing, but God isn't. God isn't. And His book was written for eternity. Do you believe that? The Bible says that, doesn't it? Forever, O Lord, Thy word is what? Settled in heaven. If God felt that His word needed to change with the times, He would never have said that. He would have said, my word is going to change as society changes to be practical for that day and age. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, I am the Lord God and I don't ever change. I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. My word does not change. And can I tell you this? It still works. It still works. If we will just put our hearts and our wills into God's hands and say, Lord, I'm going to live by this book. It still works. It doesn't, it, you know, you hear all this, this talk and nonsense about relevancy. It's not relevant. It's not relevant. I hate that word anymore. I've, it's been so overused. Can I tell you this? God's word was relevant 5,000 years ago, and it'll still be relevant 5,000 years from now and throughout all of eternity. It is relevant. It's immutable. It's unchanging. And we don't have to change with society in order to reach them. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then lastly, He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is the ruler of all. You say, well, why in the world does God have the right to do that? Because He's God. He has bought us with a price. He has made everything that is. He owned us because He created us. And then when we ran away and took ourselves out of His hands, He bought us back again. We're twice owned by God, aren't we? And He has every right to tell a young person or an old person, this is what I want you to do with your life. Amen. He has every right to say, I deserve first place in your calendar. Amen. I deserve first place in your affections. I deserve first place in your life's work. In your income. In your minds. Well, you know one of the greatest opportunities for Christians to sin are what we call sins of the mind. You know why? Because we don't think anybody sees it. But God is everywhere, doesn't He? Isn't He? He knows the thoughts. You know what, you know what to me was amazing? When Christ came and appeared to the disciples the first time after He rose from the dead, Thomas wasn't there, was he? If you read the account, the disciples go and tell Thomas, and he says, I don't believe it. Unless I put my hands in the holes of His, hand, uh, in the holes of his hands and into His side, I won't believe it. The second time he appears, Christ appears, Thomas is there. I like to think that Thomas said in the back of his mind, but if they were telling the truth, I don't want to miss it again. And I think he just wrote, I, know, I, t- I don't know that that happened. I like to think Thomas was like, I missed it once, I'm not missing it again. Wouldn't it be terrible if God chose to show up and just sweeping revival across this church on the night that you decided you were too tired to come? Boy, I don't want to miss that again. Thomas was there. And you remember what happened the second time the Bible says, and re- take time to read the account. When Jesus appeared to him the second time, Thomas doesn't say a word to Christ, but Christ comes to Thomas and says, here's the holes. Go ahead, put put your hands in them. You know why? Because God knew what was on Thomas's heart. Thomas didn't have to say those things to Christ. Christ knew. 
He knows every thought. He searches and tries the reins of the heart. Unless we start coddling our little habitual sin in our mind and think this is not hurting anybody or affecting anybody, understand this, God sees it and God knows it. Amen. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my, what? Pleasure. He has every right to. 1 Timothy 6.15, Which in in his times he shall show, who the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he has every right to. Then lastly, I said lastly before, there's one more on page 36. He is infinite. He is infinite. He's eternal with no beginning and no ending. Why is this important today? Why is it important for us to know that He's eternal? Let me rephrase it and make it a little more plain. Why is it important that we know that He had no beginning? What's happening today in our classrooms? What's being taught? That the beginning of the world started with A big bang. And we come along and we refute that by saying everything was spoken into existence by God. And they're going to come and say, where did God begin? Where did He begin? There was no beginning. He has always existed. See, we have only experienced, and we can only relate to things that we've experienced if you understand this, But we have only experienced living in time. We have never experienced living in eternity. The best way I ever found to illustrate this to young people was if we were to go and stand in a doorway, right in the doorway, and we were to look at the jam of the doorway, there's only a certain spot we could look at all the way around it because we are in the doorway. You can only look at certain spots of it at a time. But if I stand all the way back here at the pulpit and look at that doorway, I can see all of it at one time and it's all right now. God is outside of time. Remember when he was speaking to Moses? And Moses said, who do I say has sent me? He says, tell him that I am has sent me. Not I was, not I will be. There is no such thing as was and will be to God. It's just am right now. He is eternal. We're the only ones that live in time. And so we struggle with this concept. But God doesn't struggle with it at all. All right? So He is infinite. Psalm 90, verse number 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Some of God's attributes He does want to develop in us. And we'll be talking about some of those as we get into some further lessons here. The previous characteristics that we've talked about belong to God alone. And yet there are some of God's characteristics that He does want to develop in us. We call these communicable attributes. These are the moral characteristics of God. These would be such things as the fruit of the Spirit. I I missed a blank there. I'm sorry. Even as God created us in His image in certain capacities, He desires to make us in His image by developing His characteristics in our lives. So some of these attributes would be things like the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, some of these things would be, uh, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Um, sort of those sorts of attributes that we see about God. The Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say that He just contains love. It says that He is good. It doesn't mean that He does good things. It means He is good. These are attributes that you and I can get and we can have in our life and they are called the fruit of the Spirit. And a lot of what we refer to in Scripture as bearing fruit, I believe, many times deals with fruits of attributes of God. Now, I know that there are distinct verses that deal with fruit being souls that are one and men that are reached, and I understand that. But I think a lot of the verses that we use for that really are dealing more with our walk with God and what is produced from the Spirit in our hearts. So we ought to um, have uh, these attributes developed in us. Let's uh, have somebody read Galatians chapter 5, and we're almost done. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Somebody want to help us with that one? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. 
Go ahead, Ms. June. Okay. All right. So we see the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the Bible promises us that everything God allows in our lives, He can use for the purpose of conforming or molding us to the image of Jesus Christ. These are very familiar passages. Somebody might be able to quote these. Romans chapter one or chapter eight, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Okay. And what is verse 29? Is that 29 also? Might have to. That's, that's all right. Somebody want to look it up? All right, Miss Joanne. There you go. Amen. All right. Don't be afraid of this verse. It uses the word predestinate. <gasps> oh. Let's not talk about that one, Pastor. <laughs> what does it say? For them he did know, them he also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. It doesn't say to be saved, does it? This is talking to Christians. Is it not talking to Christians? And we know that all things work together to good for, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. These attributes are to be a growth in the Christian life. Uh, let see if I can find the reference here. I think I've got it real quick. Give me just one moment here. Uh. Come on, I can do it. I can do it. Here it is. I think it's here. Okay. Turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter chapter number 1. I love this. I love this. I, was, I love this passage, uh, especially when it talks about this, because it, it shows us a principle here that I think is vital in the Christian life that many times we may know it kind of by osmosis, maybe by hearing some teachings, we may kind of deduce this from things we've heard at church. But this is actually something that is given in Scripture that I think is very, very important. The Bible says, let's start in verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant of an, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. So he's speaking here to who? Who's he speaking to? The saved, okay, Christians. Uh, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. There's not one thing that is necessary in the Christian life that God does not make readily available to us. Amen. We need to understand that because I think a lot of people in their Christian life excuse away their lack of growth in the area of attributes that ought to be Christ-like because they say, well, I just don't know that God's really put that in me yet. When you got saved, He gave you all things that pertain unto this life that you've chosen to walk in now. And He says, according to His divine power, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and to virtue. Whereby, in other words, in, because of all of this, whereby are given unto us exceeding what? I love this. Great. They're great, but they're also what? Precious promises. Now, when I hear that phrase, I want to sit up and take notice. Great and precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You might have the attributes of God in your life. You can partake of His nature. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it could be said of you, they are just like Christ. That's what they said of the early Christians, wasn't it? They called them Christians first at Antioch because they were like little Christians, little Christs. 
They acted so much like him, they thought they were ridiculing him by saying, you're you're one of those Christ ones, aren't you? That was a great compliment, wasn't it? And it ought to be still today. I'd love it if somebody trying to ridicule me said, boy, you're just like a Christian. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Boy, you, you remind me so much of Christ. How is that an insult? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Well, that's available to us. God has made it available. The only reason it doesn't happen in our life is our limiting it happening in our lives. Now look what it says here. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Through our appetites. You say, is it wrong to desire the same things the world has? Is it wrong to follow after the same? Yes, it is. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If if the world's doing it, let's not love it. We shouldn't be sitting over here sulking saying, man, I wish I had thought of that first. I'm not allowed to like that, and I really like that. And yet a lot of Christians do, don't they? Oh, I wish I could do that. They're having so much fun over there. Why? We get to be partakers of the divine nature. They ought to be looking at us saying, "Why? Are, I wish we could be like that. What a great God they must have. Amen. So how does that happen? Verse number 5. It doesn't come easily. And beside this, giving all what? Diligence. It takes effort. Paul said it this way. He had to bring his mind or his body into captivity every single day. He said, the things that I would do, I don't. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, he said, those are the things I do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. So how do we do this? We have to grit our teeth, set our jaw, and say, bless God, Satan's not going to get a hold of me in this area. And so we begin to add to our faith. Now, don't call me a heretic yet. Not for salvation. After we're saved, we are to add to our faith. The Bible says it right here. Let's look what it says, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. See it? It's right there. Virtue. The idea of moral excellence. It ought not to be the person who obeys the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. In the Christian life, we ought to obey the letter, the spirit, and God of the law. I mean, if it's even close, let's let's put it into practice in our life. Let's not get as close to the edge as we can. Let's not, let's not flirt with sin. Amen? There ought to be enough virtue about us that we, we have stained so far away from it that even if people try to accuse us, the Bible says they're, they're going to be without anything to stand on. We're to add to our faith virtue. That's the first step, by the way. You say first step, why? Because look what it says here, verse number 5. And to virtue, we could say because of the structure of the sentence here, it says, add to your faith virtue. We can say it this way, and add to your virtue. That's what it's implying here, add to still. We're not adding it to our faith, we're adding it to our virtue now. In other words, once we've gotten virtue taken care of, now we start to add something else. We add knowledge. And to knowledge, we had temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Do we see this? We're supposed to be adding from the day we get saved a step up. And when we get there, add another step. And another step. And another step. And another step. Morally, to have the attributes of God in our life. That we can be the Christ ones. That we can be the ones that when people look at us, when they hear us, when they smell us, there's something different. Amen. There used to be a day when you could tell a Christian from across the street. Now you can't tell them standing in a crowd. Amen. 
And I know that's not popular in the day and age that we live, but it is Bible. We are to add these things to our faith. It's called Christian growth. I've known Christians that have been saved an awful long time that are still like a little baby. They haven't grown one bit because they've never gotten to know God. I don't, I'm not getting off of a rabbit trail here. I'm trying to show us the importance here tonight. There are certain attributes of God that are supposed to be communicated to us as believers. And we are to embrace them. And we are to love them and to cherish them. And they are to become a part of our life. Yes, separation is still in the Bible. Standards are still in the Bible. We have gone and and, and become so enamored with the world. And and I don't mean we have to be unkind. Don't don't misunderstand me. I am an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist preacher. But I am afraid that that title over the years has become tarnished and marred by the hatefulness that many times happens in these circles. Can I tell you this? We can have standards. And we can have separation. And get this. We can still love people. It's possible. Yes, it is. We don't have to look down our arrogant noses and say, because you're not what I am, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. We simply say, I love you, brother. Let me show you what God wants in our lives. I'm going to sit down with my discipleship book and let's look at what God's Word says. And let God deal with the heart. Amen? That's His business, not ours. Ours is to share the gospel. Ours is to share the truth of God's Word. Let God's Holy Spirit do the work. Amen? Amen. All right. Didn't mean to get off on a rabbit trail, but we did last week, so might as well this week too. (laughs) Sorry about that. Application. Three truths and we'll be done here real quick. Basically, we can summarize this entire lesson up into three basic truths. Number one, God has revealed Himself to us because He wants to have a relationship with us. That's an unbelievable thought. An absolute unbelievable thought. Secondly, growth in the Christian life comes through growth in your relationship with God. Growth in the Christian life comes through growth in your relationship to God. Why is it that I preach so much on our loving God and relationship with God and our walk with God? I believe the Bible teaches us quite clearly that it is, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the utmost and highest priority of any Christian before anything, even before service. And I know that's not popular preaching in the day and age we live in our circles either. Can I tell you this? If we do not have a personal, powerful, holy walk with God, we are wasting our time in our service for Him. Growth in your Christian life, number three, is measured by becoming more like Christ. We saw it in Second Peter. I don't know what step you're on in your life. I barely know what step I'm on, if I even know that. God knows my heart probably better than I do. Not probably, He does. But can I say this? Well, I'd be striving for Him. You say, are we going to slip and stumble and do wrong? Yes, because we're human. But that does not give us excuse to say, I'm not going to try. We stand up and dust ourselves off and we say, now tomorrow I'm going to do better. Now I'm going to get this thing nailed down. I'm going to give diligence to it. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's too hard. The Christian life and the cause of Christ is worth it. We have in our lifetime lived a life of ease when it comes to spiritual things. How many of you, just by, we're not going to get out of here early, I'm sorry. How many of you grew up when times were much rougher than they are today? Maybe on a farm, maybe mom and dad raised you differently, had to carry the ice into the ice box, had to pump water, had to have indoor, outdoor plumbing, things like that. What? Change that, yeah, I used to be the remote, you know, that kind of thing. And we look at kids today and we say they are 
But if you ask my son if he's spoiled today, he'll say, oh, no, my dad makes me work an awful lot. <laughs> I asked him to do something last night. I'm, I'm going to embarrass him here. Jonathan, I don't mean to embarrass you publicly. I asked him something, to do something last night. Should I should, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'm not going to tell him that. Can I say this? We, we look at the younger generation and we criticize their lifestyle of ease in comparison to our lifestyle of growing up the hard way. And yet, we sit around and reminisce with those that are of our generation saying, boy, those were the good old days, weren't they? We love them. They built character. Yes, they were hard, but weren't they great? Don't, aren't those memories fond memories? Because it was substance. And yet we sit in a spiritual ease. There used to be a day when Christians knew that there was labor in living the Christian life. There was diligence that had to be given. There was a vigilance that had to be given. An awareness, an alertness. Bible speaks so so directly to the fact that we are to be on our guard at all times. Because the Bible puts it this way, the devil is a roaring lion walking to and fro seeking whom he may devour. And we're oblivious to it. I saw a little video clip a while back of a little two or three year old girl sitting on the ledge of a piece of glass at a zoo. And right behind it was a gigantic lion about eight or ten feet away from that glass. And as the video played through, all of a sudden you see that lion crouch down. He's like this, and he lunges and plasters himself up against that glass trying to get that girl for lunch. And that girl didn't know anything about what was happening on the glass behind her. Can I tell you this? That's the case of Christianity today, for the most part. A lot of Christians oblivious. And folks, at some point... We need to give some diligence. Amen? And we can still love people doing it. Amen? I love that part. Because one of the greatest attributes that God gives us that you and I can have is His love. I'm not afraid of saying that. There are some people who say, oh, we just love people. We just love people. We just love people. And they throw away all the standards and convictions and all the separation from the world. Then you have others that have all the standards and convictions of separation of the world and they're scared to be called the people that love people because they don't want to be identified with that group. Can I tell you this? We can be strong, unchanging, steadfast on the principles and the truths of God's Word and still love people. Let's strive this week. You've got your assignments for the week. Uh, Some of you may have already done them this week. Just go back and review them this week because we had to take two weeks on this lesson. Uh, You can continue on with your Bible reading schedule if you're going through the Bible in a year, doing some of that in your book there. And uh, if you missed any of the blanks, they're in the back of your book, so you can look those up. We did move kind of quick tonight. Let's stand together and uh, have a word of prayer. And um, I don't think we'll give an invitation tonight, but I do want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you before you go to bed tonight to stop and linger and think about some of the things we've taught tonight. Would you do that for me? Ponder them in our hearts that we give diligence to these things. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless these teachings on Wednesday night. Lord, they're not really preaching services and and I get carried away sometimes thinking about this. But Lord, the need is so great. And we seem to be asleep on some of this stuff. And I pray that you would help us to love your word enough that we want these things true in our lives. Lord, I want nothing more. And I I think others in this room would want nothing more than for someone to be able to look at our life and say they are like Christ. Lord, may we be working and laboring and diligently seeking to have these attributes. Lord, not that we put them on externally. But as we grow in our walk with You, as we spend time in Your presence, that the lingering fragrance of Your presence will just come out from the inside. That it cannot help but show forth in our life. 
Lord, draw us close to you, we pray. Help us to love you as we leave this place like we've never loved you before. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss us with your blessings. Amen.